Hi, my name is Thomas Johnson, and I'm the founder and CEO of Get Up and Get Fit Wellness Concierge. I'm also a C-suite advisor and investor, and you're listening to the How May I Serve You podcast, where I'm constantly on the quest to surround myself with the best coaches while learning how to better serve our executive clientele by asking them, how may I serve you? Today's show is sponsored by Get Up and Get Fit. Get Up and Get Fit will be providing students with textbooks and school supplies in Cambodia in honor of our guests today, as well as our philanthropic mission to impact at least 50,000 people per year. And today's guest is Lisa Konigsberg. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. So Lisa Konigsberg is an internationally recognized thought leader in the realm of visual culture with particular emphasis on artisanary sustainability, and world heritage. She's also the founder and president of Initiatives in Art and Culture. Lisa has developed a global community that engages in interdisciplinary exploration and champions collaborative and pioneering approaches to the intersection of objects, fabrication, the culture it reflects and shapes. For over two decades, Lisa has been committed to excellence and to ensuring discourse among authoritative voices, representing diverse points of view and straddling multiple divides. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So Lisa, where are you right now? Talk to us. I am sitting in my office um, on East 57th Street, surrounded by a lot of books and on a uh, rigged up technical alternative because we are having the same technical challenges that seem to be plaguing this summer. So, you know what? But listen, where I am. <laughs> you know what? I, I definitely appreciate the transparency. But you know what? Despite your technical challenges, you made it. You showed up, and now it's time to have a great time. <laughs> well, thank you. So, One of the things I believe is that showing up is a hundred percent essential. So, an honor to be here. Yes, indeed. So, Lisa, give us the two mini version of who is Lisa Konigsberg. Like, where are you from? Let's start. Off, let's start off from that point. I'm from New York. Um, I'm from Manhattan. I was born here, and effectively have identified this as the place I reside for all my life, although I've been to school and worked in various other places, but I've ended up um, here in New York, and this is where we built IAC. Awesome, awesome. So let's peel back the layers a tad bit. Walk us through your childhood, right? Living in Manhattan, <laughs> concrete jungle. Who was Lisa Konigsberg when you were, were a child? Um, when I was a child, I, um, ironically lived on 57th street okay. and, um, I went to, uh, a school that was a bilingual school. So I did French and English, um, mm. every day. And, um, it was not so a school called the Fleming School. That's what it became. L'Ecole Française, then it became the Fleming School. It was not as 
the lice, which is another option, is very, very strict. This was much more creative, um, exploratory, an absolutely fantastic school that I so regret I couldn't send my own daughter to. And um, I was already just really immersed in art, um, particularly things that were dense and kind of sucked your eyes in like illustrated manuscripts. Not that I necessarily knew that it was illustrated manuscript, but very drawn to that kind of imagery. Okay. And loved also um, books. And I just, that's who I was. And um, I've, I guess, maintained that core. Today's episode is sponsored by Get Up and Get Fit. Being an executive can be very demanding. Your schedule is unpredictable. You have conflicting responsibilities that pull you in multiple directions at once. You travel too much, work late hours, and cross time zones. All things that wreak havoc on your body. This is why having a wellness support team is necessary. Get Up and Get Fit is the wellness concierge support that busy executives, entrepreneurs, and celebs rely on to keep them healthy and fit despite their hectic schedules. A body under prolonged stress is not a healthy body. Time to reduce your stress. Increase your energy, flexibility, strength, and endurance so you can enjoy life instead of just living it. Go to getupandgetfit.com. That's G-E-T-U-P-N-G-E-T-F-I-T. Dot com and schedule your consultation right now. Get up and get fit. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely tell, you know. So you being a child and going to that type of specialized school and being exposed to what it seems to be great mentorship and books, um, led you to become the person you are right now because you mentioned you love books and i know you also wrote a few books correct uh i've contributed to yes contributed. a number of books and journals and publications i do love books and um and i think the experience of reading and holding a book mm -hmm. is different from reading online and i think it's critical to um experience what it feels like to hold the volume mm. um you know reading has evolved over time the way we read but um we've had you know a good couple hundred years where the volume um was really important also i think magazines you know uh, as somebody who has writes history and one of the things that we sometimes forget is that every moment we're living we are writing history we are mm. history and um so a lot of the publications that we read um you know people will turn to as source material um in the years to come when they are attempting to write the history of any given aspect or of this um of this bizarre period. Yes, but mentorship is something you mentioned and mentorship is incredibly important. And one of the things about it is that you find 
someone who is a mentor in the most unexpected places, in my experience. And um, it can simply, it, it can be the serendipity, the two of you being involved in the same thing. It's not necessarily that someone is formally your teacher. That can be critically important as well. But um, the people who enter your life and shape your life and shape your thinking, um, they can come in at any point and the way they play their role can be different based on who they are, but the power mm -hmm. of that influence um, and also I think of their counsel, because that's one of the things that, you know, it's, there's one thing to sort of have a God figure, if you will. And it's another thing to have a mentor where you have exchange and there's trust and um, there's a concern for, for growth and development. So, uh, for me, that's, that's something I see as really, as really critical and you can have it in every aspect of your life. If you love tennis, it may mm -hmm. be that somebody, you know, discovers you and, and really sort of pulls your game up. It may be that you meet somebody along the way who really helps you professionally. Um, and then there, are, you know, personal I'm going to say counselors, but by that, I don't mean therapists. What I mean is close, um, close friends, mm -hmm. close voices, perspectives that really help you along the way to shape yourself and define what it is that you want to contribute. And I've, I've really been blessed to have quite, to have a number of them. And, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so, that definitely Definitely. That's amazing right there, Lisa, um, because I like part of the reason why I have this podcast allows me the opportunity to interview coaches and executives. Right. And everyone have story like you just mentioned. We are walking history. right? We are we are history. Our story is, is history for the most part. And we all need coaches. We all need mentorship. And oftentimes we don't realize this until we go through hard times. You know, but the goal is to equip yourself with the right individuals to get to put yourself out there. You know, um, like today in this time, um, of time and stage of my life, I appreciate coaches and mentorship so much, so much. It has changed my life and really hyper drive me to a whole nother level. You know, so I definitely um, agree with everything, everything you just said. Lisa. <laughs> yeah. So Lisa, so with that being said, who were some of the critical mentors in your life? Sai. Uh, pardon me? <laughs> who were some of the, the, the critical mentors in your life that pivoted you towards the artisanal side? Because I know you're into the arts. You're into artisanary um sustainability and and just that space so who are the, the key the, the key players in your life that pushed you towards that area um i would say there are about six or seven people okay i would start first with my parents um because my parents were deeply deeply interested in art it was 
part of our life. And I was born into that and they made it fun, which is another thing mm. is to that what you embark on uh, have, a, I mean, not everyone has this, but, but if one can find it, has a joyful component. And one of the things that I think is critical is to meet whoever it is that you're engaging with where they are. And so we used to play a game. Uh, we'd go to exhibitions and we'd play this game. Okay. Um, and this is just a game. I mean, we never okay. actually did this, but you know, <laughs> what 10 pictures would you steal? Or, okay, what five, you can't have ABC because you know that's what they would pick, but what five, what five things would you put on your Christmas wish list? Things like that making timelines when we visited places and trying to understand the history and using different colored pencils and yeah. all sorts of things. So really making it an interactive phenomenon. And, you know, I, that I really am grateful to my parents for, and um, remember, you know, going to galleries with my father as a very little girl um, and crawling around on the floor and, you know, just really being integrated into the scene. Um, coming along, there was a, a gentleman named Sidney Alstrom, who was a professor of American religious history. Okay. And I met him one summer when I was studying at Yale, and I was very young. And he was this august elven presence, which sounds oxy like an oxymoron, but he was. And for whatever reason, we developed this incredible bond and he would have lunch with me every week. Um, wow. <laughs> and um, he is the person who introduced me to Emerson, which is uh, a central way of thinking um, transcendentalism in, for me. And he was the person who was responsible for that. And then also for my ultimately ending up going back to um, get my PhD at Yale, he was there and I studied with him every semester. And then, you know, switching to work, if you will, or um, I would mention, for example, somebody like Mark Hanna, who is the chief marketing officer of Richline. And um, we had started our gold, gold conference and Mark attended, we are now in our 13th year and Mark attended, I think it was the second year. And he then came back the, the next year and he sat in the same place. And I walked past him in the row of seats and he said, I'm watching you. We're gonna do something together. Okay. And, um, <laughs> he ended up really playing an incredible role in, you might say, ushering me into the world of what responsible practice means. Mm. Um, and also, you know, one of the things is shaping your attitude about life. And Mark has an expression which or he says it's me, I say it's him, but ever better. Ever and better. Mm. I was in a meeting with him once and um, with a group of people, it wasn't directed particularly at me, but he was explaining 
why he was going, why something should, you know, a decision that should be taken action that should result. And he said, because it's the right thing. So that uh, really shaped me. There is a gentleman who is an architectural historian from Virginia, and he took his students into structures. So you didn't sit in a room, and this is not to take anything away from lectures and slides and all the rest of it, but you would you experience the transformational power of space with him mm. and see with and through his eyes and engaging in exchange and interaction with him. And not only does that teach you a lot about the subject, but it teaches you a lot about effective ways to engage people in that which you want them, you hope that they will they will embrace. Hmm. So okay. <clears throat> those are, uh, I mean, there have been many others, but we have limited time and I'm sure there's other stuff you want to ask me, but I would say those are some of the people who have been really, really important mentors um, along the way. Yeah, let's, let's, um, Let's stay on that subject a tad bit more because I'm very fascinated about being immersed, right? Going through the full experience, right? Really um, highlighting all your your features, right? Your your sense of smell, touch, you know, feel. Um, can, can you walk me through that experience? Well, the first time I think that I. Um, well, this is a little bit more complicated answer, perhaps, than you expected. <laughs> but um, when I was in graduate school, um, okay. you know, people talk about something, the arts and crafts movement. But as a field, if you will, thinking about American culture, that wasn't really, people were codifying it, if you will. It was very fluid. It still is. But really fluid. And it's not like you, you could take 10 courses in this. You couldn't. And I got extremely involved in looking at that movement, which for us is really about paradox, ethos, complexity, and contradiction. It's not about a particular style. Okay. And because everybody will say, oh, Stickley, that's the arts and crafts movement. And it's Yes, he was part of the arts and crafts movement for that and many other things, but it's not strictly the style. It's all the ideas that this crazy movement that embraces Stickley and Frank Lloyd Wright and Europe and what it what it represents. So in 1998, I guess it is, um, I was then working at NYU and started this series of conferences on the arts and crafts movement. And the first one was in New York. And it was what you might say more of a conventional conference. Okay. And, um, you know, a couple days with, you know, a couple receptions, very convivial, a lot of conversation. But after it was over, 
And, and during that process, I met somebody called Bruce Smith, who at, he is, uh, has something called the Arts and Crafts Press, and at that time published a, a magazine or a journal, I should say, called the Tabby. And the Tabby is, has particular meaning for the arts and crafts world. And um, I met him over the phone, had never seen him. Okay. Sight unseen, we became incredibly fast friends. He was a terrific influence on expanding my thinking about the movement. And he came to New York to participate in this first one. Fast forward, I'm standing in a field following August, happened in June, and I'm near trees, there's a fence in front of me, a wooden fence, and I sort of have this feeling that, gosh, we need to try to put people in this context mm. um, to expose them also to the processes that people use to make objects. And so what happened is the following year was our first year to travel. And at that point, um, I had deans that were involved in making decisions. And okay. fortunately, the dean that I then had um, a lovely person, not particularly interested in the arts and crafts movement, but fortunately had one of his closest friends lived in Pasadena. Okay. And Pasadena happens to be a Mecca, if particularly for um, the work of an architectural firm called Green and Green that also did interiors and collaborated on landscape because the totality of interior and exterior is one of the ideas that characterizes the arts and crafts movement, actually characterizes late 19th century, early 20th century thinking. And I proposed that we go there not knowing that he had a friend. So I got the green light to do this. And we, for example, would have sessions in churches. We, churches. Yes. <laughs> We took people into the owners of the Blacker House who had spoken the first year, welcomed us into the Blacker House, which is one of the, the greatest um, domestic structures. We collaborated with the Gamble House, which is, is fully, the, the interior is fully furnished in keeping with the period and the movement at that time, the director was uh, a gentleman named Ted Bosley, um, who became a colleague of, you know, for life. And we also, um, there was something called Judson, Judson Stained Glass. And Judson is something that we actually took people back to like 20 years later. And it's a stained glass workshop and conservation uh, place. And how you, your philosophy of preserving is important too. To what point in time are you gonna be faithful? Um, what methods are you gonna use? Are you gonna use things that can be restored, that can be removed? 
or are you going to permanently change something, an irreversible change? All of these questions. And so we would we took people to Judson and they saw the glass. They heard the explanations. They met the people who did this. And these experiences and this way of approaching things has, I hope, really characterized, uh, in particular, the Arts and Crafts Conference, but also other conferences were committed to challenging the idea that expertise is one kind of person. It's not. Expertise resides in a whole host of people, mm-hmm. people you might not think of as experts, but they are because they know what they're doing and how to do what they're doing better than anybody else does. And we need to challenge our preconceptions of what constitutes expertise. Mm, One of my favorite analogies is, say you have at the turn of the 19th century, late 17th, 18th, pardon me, in the United States, there was a, a, a style of furniture that's often, that's referenced at times as federal. And there were a lot of, they're made use of a lot of inlay. So inlay is flat. It's a decorative motif that's applied to the structure of um, the furniture, whether it's a chair or a sideboard. And one of the things about um, that sort of thing is it pops out. Um, And there are particular methods for dealing with that kind of work. So if you want to know about restoring and repairing and the challenges, do you want to hear from a scholar about that period? Or do you want to hear from somebody who might have spent their life working with such furniture? Obviously, the person who's worked with it for their whole life mm-hmm. is going to show you um, a way of thinking about things that is different. And mm-hmm. also, the way knowledge is passed on within such circumstances is different because it has to do with execution and realization. So what do your hands do? What's the relationship between your your head and your hands, for example, and w- the sort of conversational um, exchange plays a very different role. There's a wonderful book called um, Shopcraft as Soul Class by Matthew Shop Crawford. Class. Shop class is soul class. Okay. Soul class. And uh, it's phenomenal. And it compares these two kinds of learning, one being sort of codified theoretical and the other one being, um, if you will, the engaged approach of repairing, restoring, creating. Um, And so we always try to have a spectrum of people talking about a given subject. So it might be someone who cuts stones, someone who mines stones, someone who um, 
refines gold, someone who um, actually makes jewelry. And there are so many ways to do that, of course. Um, somebody so Lisa, who I'm going to I'm 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 jump in really quickly. So Please. in terms of finding these ex experts, right, what is your vetting process like, right? Because you mentioned everyone have the, their own expertise depending on what they do. So what is the vetting process when you're trying to find the right people to come on board? Um, that's a great question. Um, basically, talking with a lot of other people, getting okay. recommendations, reading, talking with people themselves, experiencing them, doing what they're doing. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, and again, serendipity can play a great part in this, which is, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, you stumble on something. And you here is the perfect person to address a given topic because, oh, wow, they're a jeweler. They work in responsible ways. They are using, for example, gold and diamonds. And, you know, we last year we had a, a pair of jewelers. Their line is called TAP by Todd Pownell. So Todd Pownell and Deborah Rosen. And not only do they relate to gold and diamonds and our gold and diamond conference, but they also very much related to arts and crafts because mm. they had a great concern for how material was sourced, what you did with it. The aesthetic that they champion is very much in keeping with um, an aspect of the arts and crafts movement. And, you know, I came upon them in one context got to know them over time, then realized, oh my goodness, they would be absolutely perfect. And then it so happens that their practice is in Cleveland. And that's okay. where we did arts and crafts last year. So oh, perfect. So we took everybody to their studio. Oh, wow. So you're definitely right on the serendipitous word. Because <laughs> like that uh, occurred in that fashion, you know, um, you couldn't plan that. Everything is just aligned accordingly, you know. It also seems, it seems like you are great when it comes to collaboration. You know, you, you tend to meet the right people at the right time, doing the right things. And you're open to listening, to experiencing, and just uh, being part of the world. And I think that's fascinating because a, a lot of leaders, unfortunately, don't have that capacity right so have you always been like that have you always been open to experiencing new people and new things and and just being open to just going out into the, the unknown um that's also a great question um i think that is closely tied in a way to a sense of wonder okay and to, I think I've always had that, but I think as I, through the years, that has absolutely developed my, I think one of the things about collaboration is that you can, you can be interested in it, but one of the things that sort of nurtures it is engagement in it. 
and seeing what results from collaboration. And also, you know, are you someone who likes to bring people together to create something that may have um, a greater impact, mm -hmm. but you have maybe collective ownership as opposed to single ownership. And um, I'm very involved in all of that. And I have my closest colleague at IEC is called Erin Welsh. And Erin, who is the director, her title's director, um, I've learned a great deal about that really from working with her. Um, it's really brought out those inclinations in me. And, um, you know, I think when you, I mean, I can't speak for everybody because we're all different, but we're coming into a point where there are many collaborations and I'm so grateful uh, for the expertise, the warmth, um, and, you know, it, frankly, it, in my view, it, it's, it's a very strengthening thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, you know, we're all different. Um, and I feel, you know, quite fortunate to be really engaged in collaborative work. Um, one of the things in putting, for example, the gold conference together, which just ended is talking with colleagues about, Hey, what are the, what are the issues that we, we want to address? How, how, do we want to come at these things? How can we make sure that, say, a whole spectrum of views about what's responsible gold is represented? So to me, um, you know, every day is about collaboration. Uh, but again, as I say, I mean, I'm just one person. I happen to be deeply committed to this. Um, and I have found it to be rewarding, enriching, and strengthening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but we all, uh, and I'm not trying to be woo-woo here, but, you know, we all have to in some way find our own, our own way. I mean, hopefully others are helping you along the way to find your path, but. Um, so you find your calling. Pardon me? So you, you have found your calling because the thing is, when, when I when I interact with people, right, I don't just listen, but I also read body language and I, I look at tonality, facial structure. And as you speak about these concepts, these experiences, you start to glow, Lisa. You are in your you are in your calling. I can tell this is not fake. You're not trying hard. You're just flowing. No, that absolutely a hundred percent. I mean, this is um I wake up every day and uh this is this is it for me. I mean, mm -hmm. not it as in the end, but it as in uh the cradle of of things to be accomplished, of of ways to help affect change, of hopefully speaking with with people who you don't necessarily agree, but you respect one another and you want the best for each other. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm very deeply committed to 
what I do, if you will, and and the way it's done. And I am really grateful every day for the people that I get to work with, because one of the great privileges of what I do is who I can learn from, with whom I can speak, um, who will challenge me. Mm-hmm. So we've just embarked on a collaboration with SIPJO, which is the World Confederation of Jewelry Organizations. And oh, the wow. gentleman who is the president of it is called Gaetano Cavaliere. And I have immense respect for Gaetano. And I feel so honored to have been asked to participate in this. And if you had asked me about this five years ago, I would not have envisioned this. Mm. Um, But here we are, and it's more of a global engagement for us. And uh, just very exciting. And I've learned also a great deal from him. And he has spent his life looking at these questions um, in the world. So sounds like a phenomenal collaboration right there. So, you know, with that, you cover a lot of a lot of great things today. But um, I want to ask you, what advice would you give to other executives that are, you know, they're they're working on in their task, they're working on probably not necessarily their their dream job, but they're just pushing along, right? Pushing along. What advice would you give them in terms of collaboration, in terms of going after, you know, their calling? From your personal experience, right? What advice would you give to these other executives? Um, okay, I'm going to draw specifically on one aspect of my life, which is I'm the board chair of a um, historic house that is located in Harlem. It's called the Morris Jamel Mansion. Okay. And it is part of the Historic House Trust, which is a New York City entity or about 34, 35 structures within it. It's public-private partnerships, though. And um, one of the things that I've noticed during my tenure um, as being deeply engaged and and now in, in my present capacity is that even if I have apprehension um, about how something is going to go or a particular situation. I find that when I trust my colleagues and I work with my colleagues, we come out with good decision. And I think, you know, we have, I'm not sure whether it's an American mentality or it's a modern mentality, but this, this notion somehow that we go it alone. And one of the things I would say is to have, in a way, the strength to trust in others, to share your views, hear what they have to say, to come out with a better resolution. And I find so many times we will go through things and at the end of the discussion, 
And at the end of the process, I'm always filled with this feeling of gratitude mm. for these remarkable people with whom I am working. So I think, and not everyone is in a circumstance where they can, but you know, if, if you're in a decision-making capacity, you can hopefully bring people that you can trust, whom you can have trust with into your circle. And if you will hear them, listen to them. Sometimes you're going to hear things that, you know, maybe tough to hear, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, hear them, listen to them. And I particularly think that authenticity is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And if, if you can be yourself, be your best self, not every day because nobody is, but if, if you can try to be your best self within a situation, if that's an aspiration, um, I think that, that that's another thing that's very helpful, but I guess, you know, you asked a very complex question. And I think another thing is, is this, you know, we often in the world will talk about like, oh, this is a corporation and this is not for profit. And I think that that distinction has in a way become the wrong distinction at this point. Mm. I, because there are plenty of not-for-profits that are large, they function as corporate entities, what have you. And of course, every entity starts as a corporation. I think one of the fundamental questions is purpose-driven. Are you driven to mm -hmm. do something? And what is that thing? What drives and you? Does that ignite you? And to be purpose-driven, the money or whatever you are doing it for is, if you will, the by a byproduct of your um faithful adherence to purpose and mission and trusting those around you. And, you know, at the end of the day, the other thing is having someone that you can step away with mm. to go to the movies, to go, to, or, or you in yourself, you just pull away. And because if something becomes too overwhelming, getting some sort of distance is extremely helpful, whether it means a good night's sleep. I mean, I, I feel ridiculous saying these things, but honestly, it's I true. found it to be mm -hmm. extremely important. Um, and being able to confide, to trust in a conversation that is perhaps with people that are not necessarily in that world, because that you bring that refreshed self, that new perspective back to the situation, to, to the situation that maybe is professional. I mean, I sort of feel like my work surrounds me all the time, but yet, you know, I know what a difference these kinds of things can make to even my judgment. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a position such as one you describe, judgment is really important. And it's better to take a moment, think about it, 
ask a colleague, um, you know, um, in the remake of Parent Trap that Lindsay Lohan did, which I think is an absolutely sublime film, <laughs> uh, the, the twins are trying to get their parents to reunite and they recreate mm -hmm. their first date. And uh, one of them, when the, they're saying it's going to, you know, dinner will take some time or what have you, it's, it's dinner on a boat and their grandfather foots the bill. And uh, one of them says, take your time. Now, you know, I wouldn't say stretch this out over millennia, but the fact is that, you know, recently there was an article about emails and this the commentary was particularly directed to women. Um, and the idea that if we do not answer instantaneously, there is something wrong. That, you know, the expectation of immediacy. Um, you're not, I mean, sometimes you will immediately know, wow, this is great. I want to do this or for whatever reason, maybe not. But a lot of times your best answer is going to come from some reflection. Mm -hmm. um, even if it happens to be about the jello that you're going to eat, you know, in the afternoon. I mean, just take the time. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Those words sound so simple, but they are so profound, you know, and that's what we need to do. You know, take by taking your time, you really it really helps you to put things into context, number one. And number two, we need to slow things down because we live in a, a fast paced world. Like you mentioned, everything is just fast, fast, instantaneous, right? Constant, instant, instant, instant. So you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So um, what are you currently working on at this moment, Lisa? Because I know you have a lot going on, right? Um, what is what is the current project on your plates? <laughs> well, there are actually three. Three, okay. Um, because we, having finished this year's Gold and Diamond Conference, there's always what happens is immediately there are things that you try to put in place for the following year ideas that came up that should be explored, what have you. So that's happening. We are having our 25th anniversary uh, arts and crafts conference, which is taking place in Detroit. Okay. On September 27th to October 1st. And that is a very full agenda with lots of movement and exploration of buildings, interiors, objects, um, and that's actually another thing, if I can actually uh, almost under <laughs> interject in my own statement, you know, feel things. So, you know, museums are great, but one of the things that happens is that you, in effect, you can no longer touch that thing or use that thing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the other things I would say is, you know, experience the object, feel it feel its balance, like does the fork balance on your finger? Because that means that, you know, the section with the tines and the section with the, the handle, if you will, that they're balanced in terms of construction. Um, feel things. Is it rough? Is it smooth? All of these things are really important. And for example, that dimensionality, we, we say, oh, something is two-dimensional when we're talking about a painting. 
even though it may be exceedingly subtle, a painting is not two-dimensional. There is a third dimension. There is something on the surface of that canvas. So, you know, kind of embrace the dimensionality. And the other thing I would say, and this actually goes back to your question, which I apologize for backtracking, but um, there is this dichotomy that has grown up between the idea of craft and design, with design being associated with the mental and craft, in a sense, having been associated with the manual. To me, this is a false dichotomy. Mm. Okay. And Good tell. one of the, so, and the reason I bring this up is because one of the other things along with take your time is this. Even Leonardo, he crafted his works. You repeat, you develop, you accrue skills. If you're writing one piece, the fifth draft is going to be crafted in a way that your first draft likely won't. So don't underestimate the importance of your craft and the craft of others. So process is another thing that I would say. And it, it does actually relate to what we're doing because these are all questions that we think about and address in Gold and Diamonds, in Arts and Crafts, in American Art, which for us, we're now starting another partnership that's very exciting in terms of where we're gonna host it. And I am sometimes way too impulsive in my reaction. So in effect, what I'm saying abstractly here to you and whoever, you know, I may have the honor of having listen, um, I work, I try to, particularly if my feeling is one of anger or, or, you know, fear, sit with it. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, by no means am I the expert at this. I'm just trying to share some things that, you know, I have learned or at, am learning along the way that, um, that are, really important trust you know trust in others respect for those people and their views um collaborative consultation and you know actually get out there and like if, when i leave the office and i go look at things and i come back the encounter with the object, the encounter with buildings, whatever it is, Take I am always renewed. Mm. And we all have something like that, whatever, whatever that is. And, um, you know, so those are things that I think are really important. Um, and, you know, I'm always happy to talk with whoever might want to talk about, whether it's specifically, you know, related to what we do or um, issues about how to get where they're going 
because personally there's some resonance. Yes, indeed. Um, so Lisa, like wh where can people find you? You know, if they want to connect with you or connect with your projects, because you, like I said, you have a lot going on. Um, where can it go to connect with you? Well, we have a website. So the organization is called Initiatives in Art and Culture. So you can Google us and you will find us, me, our projects. You can even listen in to um, some of our conferences and webinars. Um, you can, the email address uh, that will absolutely reach me is info at, and then art, A-R-T, initiatives, I-N-I-T-I-A-T-I-V-E-S dot com. So art, initiatives dot com. Also oh. reaching me will be lisa.kronigsberg at artinitiatives.com. Info is easier. So okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a way to find us, a way to find our projects, and also a way to find Aaron. Okay. That's, that's awesome right there. So, Lisa, thank you for coming on this episode of the How May I Serve You podcast. You brought a wealth of knowledge, experience, and just you. You know, you brought your story. And this is why I love doing these podcast interviews because I get the chance to learn about the person that's right across from me, you know, even either in person or or virtual. So I learned so much about you during this time frame, and I just like to give you your kudos. Thank you, Lisa. And I also like to yes, indeed. And I also like to give thanks to all of our listeners and viewers for lending us their ears and their eyeballs. But Lisa, last but not least, right? This is my last question for you. How may I serve you? I, I can't hear your question. I'm sorry. No worries. How may I serve you? How may you serve me? Mm -hmm. um, by being engaged in the world and engaged in conversations so that we can see where this preliminary or not preliminary but first exchange can take us okay okay and uh that's that's great that's a great answer right there and we shall keep in contact because I, I like i love your energy and the people that you're surrounded by i can already tell they're good people because i was connected to you by a phenomenal lady and i'm able to um sometimes sometimes i like to Learn about the people that surrounded that, that you're surrounded by to get a better understanding of who the person is <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> so, Lisa, thanks, thanks again. Um, and everyone that listened to this episode, please reach out to Lisa. She's amazing. Go to her various events and programs, and you will not regret it. Once again, this is your podcast host, Thomas Johnson. And until next time, cheers. Hey.